Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep, a description of a city shower by Jonathan Swift. This is first published in uh, a magazine newspaper. I think it's called. I don't know. It's a periodical called the Tatler, uh, issue number 238, on Tuesday, October 17th, 1710. So, a few days ago. Um, And (laughs) (laughs) the major content of this issue is a poem um, that is untitled. We get the title from later publications. And uh, it doesn't say who it's by uh, exactly. It says it's by... Um, Mr. Humphrey Wagstaff, who is the cousin, we're told, of uh, the editor, whose name is Steele. Um, and it starts with a few quotes, which I'll, I'd like to read that. I'd like to read the introduction. And then um, maybe I'll get you to uh, read us the poem proper. As long as you don't want me to do it with a British accent. Uh, I, Anglo-Irish, please. Well, you're assuming that Swift is the one who wrote the poem. I am assuming that. Um, he, uh, I, I, I'm not sure exactly how I came across it, but um, I love Swift. So uh, one of the things I, I must that must have triggered me to find it was um, uh, him agreeing that it was his best, uh, quote-unquote, they think tis the best thing I ever wrote, and I think so too, um, which is really, really funny. Because um, depending on when he said this in his life, he wrote a lot of famous stuff, including sure uh, Gulliver's Travels and uh, many very, very funny poems, um, which this is among them. I don't know that I think it's his best, but I do think it's definitely worth reading. Um, so uh, let me read that introduction here. Um, uh, it's got some uh, opening quotes, which I'm not going to be great at, but I'll do my best with. Uh, Poetica Surgit, Tempestas, uh, Juve, J-U-V dot, Sat dot, X-I-I dot, 23. So I'm assuming this is Juven, Juven, Juvenile, or Juvenile, um, Saturday the 23rd of 23rd, uh, 23 A.D., I think that's no, what, no. I think it's I think it's juveniles satire seven. Aha. Okay, and then line twenty three, and, and then the line number. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, so poetica surgit tempestas. Um, I can kind of figure out what that means. Uh, I, I, it's Latin. It means storm arises in poetry. Right, and of course the the grammar is backwards. So poetica is poetry. Uh, surge surgit would be like coming out, right, in the same way we think of Surge, and Tempestas would be Tempest, a.k.a. But the the grammar isn't backwards, though, because Latin doesn't worry about word order nearly as much as English does. English really, really finds it important. Yes. Indeed. Um, And then we've got a more normal quote. Uh, Thus dreadful rises the poetic storm, uh, by quoting R. Wynn, W-Y-N-N-E, um, I'm not sure who that is either. Do you know? I don't. Okay. Um, and then, from my own apartment, October 16th, presumably uh, 1710, because 
This is published in October 17th, 1710. Uh, Storms at sea are so frequently described by the ancient poets and copied by the moderns that whenever I find the winds begin to rise in a new heroic poem, I generally skip a leaf or two until I come into fair weather. Virgil's Tempest is a masterpiece in this this kind, and is indeed so naturally drawn that one who has made a voyage can scarcely read it without being seasick. uh, This is supposed to be comedic, too, I think. Uh, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Land showers are no less frequent among the poets than the former, but I remember none of them which have not fallen in the country, for which reason they are generally filled with the lowings of oxen and the bleedings of sheep, and very often embellished with a rainbow. It's making fun of of, uh, rural romantic poetry, right? Virgil's land shower... I guess it wouldn't be romantic. It's it's quasi-romantic. Virgil's Land Shower is likewise the best in its kind. This would be from the Eclogues, I think. Uh, it is indeed a shower of consequence, and contributes to the main design of the poem, by cutting off a tedious ceremonial and bringing matters to a speedy conclusion between two potentates of different sexes. My ingenious kinsman, Mr. Humphrey Wagstaff, who treats of every subject matter... Uh, who treats of every subject after a manner that no other author has done, and better than any can do, has sent me the, descri- the description of a city shower. I do not question, but the reader remembers my cousin's description of the morning as it breaks in town, which is printed in the Ninth Tattler, and is uh, another exquisite piece of this local poetry. So uh, he's actually referring to another poem by Swift called um, A Description of a Morning. Um, which is also uh, like like this one, a comedic poem. Um, and then th- we have the poem itself. Okay. Careful observers may foretell the hour by sure prognostics when to dread a shower. While rain depends... The pensive cat gives o'er her frolics and pursues her tail no more. Returning home at night, you'll find the sink strike your offended sense with double stink. If you be wise, then go not far to dine. You'll spend in coach hire more than save in wine. A coming shower, your shooting corns presage. Old aches will throb, your hollow tooth will rage. Sauntering in coffee house is dolmen seen. He damns the climate and complains of spleen. Meanwhile, the South, rising with dabbled wings, a sable cloud athwart the welkin flings that swilled more liquor than it could contain and like a drunkard gives it up again. Brisk Susan whips her linen from the rope while the first drizzling shower is born aslope. Such is that sprinkling which some careless queen flirts on you from her mop but not so clean. You fly, invoke the gods, and turning, stop to rail. She, singing, still whirls on her mop. Not yet the dust had shunned the unequal strife, but aided by the wind, fought still for life. And wafted with its foe by violent gust, t'was doubtful which was rain and which was dust. Ah, where must needy poets seek for aid when dust and rain at once his coat invade? His only coat, where dust confused with rain, roughen the nap and leave a mingled stain. 
Now, in contiguous drops, the flood comes down, threatening with deluge this devoted town. To shops in crowds, the draggled females fly, pretend to cheapen goods, but nothing by. The Templar spruce, while every sprout... The Templar spruce, while every spouts a brooch, stays till tis fair, yet seems to call a coach. The tucked-up seamstress walks with hasty strides, while streams run down her oiled umbrella's sides. Here various kinds, by various fortunes led, commerce acquaintance underneath a shed. Triumphant Tories and desponding Whigs forget their feuds and join to save their wigs. Boxed in a chair, the bow impatient sits, while spouts run clattering o'er the roof by fits, and ever and anon, with frightful din, the leather sounds, he trembles from within. So when Troy chairmen bore the wooden steed, pregnant with Greeks, impatient to be freed, those bully Greeks, who, as the moderns do, instead of paying their chairmen, run them through, Laocoon struck the outside with his spear, and each imprisoned hero quaked with fear. Now from all parts the swelling kennels flow and bear their trophies with them as they go. Filth of all hues and odors seem to tell what street they sailed from by their sight and smell. They, as each torrent drives with rapid force from Smithfield or St. Pulchre's shape their course, and in huge confluent joined at Snow Hill Ridge fall from the conduit prone to Holborn Bridge. Sweepings from butcher's stalls, dung, guts, and blood, drowned puppies, stinking sprats, all drenched in mud, dead cats, and turnip tops come tumbling down the flood. Okay. So, it took me a few times to to figure out what's going on here. I I also looked um, to see what other people had said about it. I think the Wikipedia entry... Um, which is probably, I think, where I first heard about it. It doesn't do a great job of of explaining why this is a good poem or interesting or anything like that. Um, so I'll just read part of that, and then uh, let's fill in the blanks if we can. Um, sure. A description of a, sh- of a city shower is... A 1710 poem by Anglo-Irish poet Jonathan Swift, first appearing in the Tatler magazine in October of that same year. The poem was considered his best poem. Swift agreed. They think tis the best thing I ever wrote, and I think so too. Bonamy Dubray found it, and Swift's other Tatler verse, a description of the morning, emancipatory, defiantly anti-poetic, describing that nothing that the common run of poets would seize on. Uh, I think that's true. The next, <laughs> the text concerns modern urban life and the artificiality of that existence. The poem also parodies and imitates in certain parts of the structure and diction Virgil's Georgics. Other authorities suggest that the poem, I like that, other authorities suggest that the poem seeks to mock both the style and character of the way then contemporary city life was portrayed by other Augustan writers and poets. A description of the city shower is cited as part of the inspiration for William Hogarth's Four Times of the Day, among other works. One of Hogarth's most famous works, Four Times of of the Day, sheds a humorous light on contemporary life in London, the moors and various social classes of the city, 
and the mundane businesses of life. Among other works said to have provided Hogarth with inspiration for his series is the aforementioned A Description of a Morning, published in the Tatler in 1709, as well as John Gay's Trivia. Okay, so this is more about the the painting uh, four times of li- four times of the day, and I think maybe that maybe that's how I came across it. It shows you know the rain, the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. Um, I don't think that's what's going on here. In the, I think we're I'm t- I'm talking about the poem. This uh, poem. not the poem, the painting. I'm sorry. Ah, yes. 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 Um, so. Yeah, I, I agree. That's not what's going on here. There is something going on here. Um, finding who the narrator is and how we're viewing this is, is kind of interesting. It's very abstract. Um, and, and it's a bit hard to follow given how, how many vocab words are thrown down, right? Swift <laughs> is, is uh, I mean, uh, Welkin. Last time I heard the word Welkin, I think was in a translation of Beowulf. Um, so 1710 is a long time ago, but it, it's not that long ago. He's being very creative. He's being highly, um, he's trying to elevate and descend at the same time. The the subject matter is descending, (laughs) literally, and, uh, the, um, the language is, is very lofty. Do you want to give like well, a description of what I, you, you know, think the plot I, I, is here? I, I, the, my problem here is that um, I'm an English professor, and uh, none of those words struck me as abstruse. Mm-hmm. But you uh, just used a word that, that most people don't, won't know. <laughs> like abstruse. Yes, exactly. Right, exactly. That's why I'm saying uh, my, your reading might be right. I didn't, I didn't stop twice for Wilkin. You know, I just, I know it's the kind of thing that comes up in Enlightenment poetry, and I forged on. But you may well be right. Do you want to give a um, a uh, description of what actually happens in this poem? Because there is a a series of scenes, as well as a series of attitudes towards scenes. I, I would, but I think we should start with the editorial comment. Because right. the, the editorial comment, I think, is... Uh, I think it's brilliant. I think the whole combination, the ensemble, is brilliant. It is about the reading and writing of poetry. Yep. And it's about the class of people who would, in fact, read and write poetry. Um, the Tatler is a uh, is one of the earliest periodicals aimed at catering to the rising middle class. It's one of the first things in British literature to see if it can capitalize on the increasing fraction of the population who's literate. And often in the Tatler uh, and the Rambler, which was also started by Steele, um, in a way, the writers are trying to teach people what you really should, how you really should read stuff. So this begins... um, you know, storms at sea are described by ancient poets and so on. In fact, they're described so much the same that when I come upon them, I skip them. Mm-hmm. You're looking for fair weather, where fair weather now becomes a metaphor for poetry that isn't just hackneyed. Right. Right. So Virgil does this really well. Um, and so 
what it says is uh, you'd be seasick if you've actually ever been to sea mm-hmm. by reading his. Mm-hmm. So there's a kind of realism. There's a, an argument here that really good poetry will make you feel stuff. And then it says land showers no less frequently occur. And then they often end, because they are in the country, they end with the lowings of oxen, the bleedings of sheep, and are often embellished with a rainbow, <laughs> which is telling us how land showers are to be found if they are written in a hackneyed way. And of course, what we're going to get now, the description of the city shower, isn't a hackneyed way. So then he goes on, talks about um, Virgil's land shower and says, okay, now I'm going to try something else, or at least this fellow will, um, who's really swift. Um, And then he gives it to us. Now, what one can't hear uh, perhaps I should have tried somehow to make it clearer. It's written in four stanzas. The first one tells about how you feel when the storm is rising. The sure prognostics, which are put in parenthesis, are the fact that the the low barometer has meant that water has backed up and your sink now stinks. Yep. This is before the invention of the kinds of valve traps to keep that from happening. Your tooth bothers you. Your corns bother you. Uh, this is really your not yep. your joints, right? Um, and Dolman is seen. That's clearly a uh, an every man but mm-hmm. a stupid one. Yep. Um, he's sauntering around in the coffee house who's damning the client, the climate, well, which, you know, what do you do? It's, that's the climate, and complains of spleen. That is to say, he's complaining that he himself is angry. I mean, the guy is, is a dope, but he's taking the middle-class relaxation of going to the coffee house, mm-hmm. a comparatively new but wildly popular innovation in England. Mm-hmm. That's the first stanza. Second stanza, meanwhile, to the south, rising with dabbled wings, uh, which I think is actually an allusion to the uh, um, metaphysical poets that came uh, two-thirds of a century before. Um, Meanwhile, to the south, uh, the sable cloud athwart the welkin flings. Mm -hmm. Whether he expects people to look up the word welkin or not, Clearly, sable cloud athwart the Welkin flings is supposed to be a high level of rhetoric, mm-hmm. right? Very, very fancy. That swilled more liquor than it could contain and like a drunkard gives it up again. Right? So he goes from that high to the low. Mm-hmm. The cloud is vomiting down on us. Yep. Brisk Susan whips her linen from the rope. That is, Susan is a, a pretty standard name at this time for a housemaid. The housemaid is quickly bringing in the the clothing that was out there to dry because mm-hmm, she knows the uh, storm is right. coming. Like sure prognostics, <laughs> while the first drizzling drizzling shower is born a slope. Now, if the storm is coming in on quickly moving winds, that's a slope. That's the the angle at which the the uh, the raindrops are coming mm-hmm, down. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing the beginning of this. Right now, uh, we've already heard the poem. A lot's going on, but the com- the poet himself is complaining. If the dust and the uh, and the rain mix, what am I supposed to do? Well, what he doesn't say, and what is not said, I think, turns out to be the most important aspect of this poem. What he doesn't say at this point is, well, when dust and rain mix, you get mud. Yep. 
And here's a poet, you know, saying, well, I'm going to give you a picture of the city shower, but I'm standing here in mud and it's my only coat. What am I supposed to do? So poet, the poetic voice aligns himself with the working class Mm -hmm. as opposed to the middle class like the beau who is uh, in uh, like Mr. Dolman walking around Mm -hmm. in the the coffee shop. And in the next stanza, the, the rain lets loose, contiguous drops come down. And what we see here is two things having to do with portraits of the city life. The first one is um, this woman who is uh, tempting uh, folks. I think, is, is, is she there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Such is uh, the sprinkling which some careless queen flirts on you from her mop, but not so clean. Is that the line you're going for? That's it. And now, queen, spelled Q-U-E-A-N, um, can simply mean a, uh, a slattern, but it's also slang for prostitute. Yes. And so when she is, uh, talk, the, the mop, it could be a low-class woman who's got a dirty mop because she's been using it to clean things yep. up, or it could be something else. Yes, something else. else. The question as to how dirty this poem is, is, um, I think, open to a lot of interpretation. Um, Because I know how dirty Swift is from his other poems. Indeed. He he loves it. He wrote The Rape of the Lock. He loves (laughs) this stuff. He does. And uh, so I have a few questions in there. (laughs) But I'm glad to see that it wasn't just me. I thought I was going crazy when I I looked online and said, why are people, like, interpreting it so stupidly? (laughs) It's really obvious. Uh, When it comes to smut, Jesse, I'll always say yes to your interpretation. So I'm I'm all for smut. I I think I have a relatively clean mind, but I know Swift. I I read his stuff. He is uh, is like Shakespeare. He loves it. Loves it. Uh, yeah, he does. So then in the second part of this stanza, which is the third stanza, um, after we get the uh, this woman, um, and so it's it's not a nice picture of a lower class woman, we get uh, the, the leathern sounds, that is the rain is falling on the, the uh, chair, which is to say a, uh, a palanquin. Uh, the, the, the bow is sitting inside a leather coach, which is being moved along probably by a coachman sitting in the front um, who's getting rained on. And the rain is coming down on the the leather top of this uh, box he's riding in. And while it's coming down in fits, um, the leathern sounds, he trembles within because like the people in Troy, the Greeks in the horse, they were scared when Lacawan taps the horse Mm -hmm. with his spear in order to get them to say something so that he can convince his fellow Trojans that this is not something you should bring in. But they don't believe Lacawan. And so the Greeks are, it says, each imprisoned hero quaked with fear. But in fact, ultimately, Lacawan was right, and Troy gets sacked by the contents. (laughs) Now, that, I think, is a very subtle argument against the value system of the rising middle class. Mm. That bow is in that box, trembles even at just rain. But in fact, he's not going to be discovered. He's not going to get wet. He's not going to get hurt. 
And when he can get out of the box, when the rain stops, he will sack the city. All right, there's, there's, a, real, mm, there's a real argument here against the, the rising middle class. Yeah, no, uh-huh. it, for sure. And it, that's even er, a little earlier in this. Um, There's a very mysterious line here. I, I want to quote it to you. The Templar spruce, while every spout's a brooch, stays till tis fair, yet seems to call a coach. So Templar spruce, this is not something I'm familiar with. Um, I can see some stuff. But uh, what's your interpretation there? I think that what we're talking about here is the is the one of the inns of court, where the people who run the the, the law mm-hmm. um, are, are doing fine. The Templars, um, the Spruce, I am assuming is now I could be wrong. Maybe there really is a big spruce tree outside that inn, um, and people stay under it. But because it says every spout's a brooch. I'm thinking that they have um, rain spouts made out of wood mm. that come out. And as long as that's going on, the people inside um, are fine. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be calling a coach, uh, but in fact, it's not. They're yeah. just going to stay put. So those who control the law, they're fine. Those who, that is, from their own viewpoint, but the rest of us, like poor Susan and the, the poor working woman, the prostitute, um, they're getting rained on. Mm-hmm. And they're getting crapped on all the time by those who control the law and those who can pay others to transport them in the leather box. This transportation issue is in the very first stanza when he says, the poet says, if it's going to rain, if you can sense it's going to rain, don't go to a distant restaurant just to save money on wine Mm -hmm. because you'll have to spend it on transportation to get back. So you might as well just dine nearby. And he doesn't say it, but of course, that also means you'll finish sooner and you maybe not get wet at all. So the idea that people who can command wine and command their dinners and so on um, really ought to understand that the world is not set up for them. But if you want to make a calculation, the calculation is ultimately a losing one. Mm-hmm. You can try to take it for yourself, but you're not going to succeed. And I think that that coach in the first stanza reminds us of the coach or presages the coach in the third stanza. Mm-hmm. This is very much about how the city runs, and it runs on money. Yeah. I noticed that the... Uh the crowd, uh, in the, it, I think this third stanza is the most interesting. Uh, now in contiguous drops, the flood comes down, threatening with the del- with deluge this devoted town. To shops, in crowds, and draggled females fly, pretend to cheapen goods, but nothing buy. So all the women suddenly go inside and pick things up and pretend to be interested in buying them. Right. But the only reason they're in there is to avoid being rained upon. But exactly. it, it all pays off when the rain hits the ground and starts building up. This is, this is London, uh, if this is London, uh, and I assume it is, it's pre, uh, pre-sewers. Yes. <laughs> so anything and everything that can be moved by water is being moved by water only when it rains. This is essentially a giant toilet flush. Yep. And then nobody wants to be out in that. 
everybody's getting upset. The the uh, the Whigs will share uh, a cover with the Tories, um, both to save their wigs, literally. W i g s. Exactly. And again, then, yeah. Again, satire against those in control, the rising middle class. And then we get this 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 horrible outpouring. I mean. He 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 presages it with the uh, the scent of the toilet um, right. in your your sink caused by the increased air pressure, right? Um, Actually, I think it's the low the uh, low yes, pressure. The, the barometric so that the water sucks the, back up. The barometer yeah. is dropping, right? Yeah, right. and and everybody can feel it. They can feel it. In, the cat can feel it. The um, the prostitutes can feel it. Everybody can feel it. Everybody's getting ready, and they. F- they dread it, and and yeah. then the reason they dread it is for what happens in that last stanza. You want to read that again and and do more annotation for us? A little bit. Now, from all parts, the swelling kennels flow. The kennel is the uh, the channel in the middle mm-hmm. of the street, but also rather than on the sides. It doesn't. It doesn't mean dog kennel. It, no. It, 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 no. It, at this time, um, like in modern streets, we have a. Uh, the streets are curved so that you have water running down near the curb on both sides. In England at this time, you'd, you had the street pitched toward the center mm-hmm. and water would flow through the middle of the street. That was called kennel. It's cognate with channel. Um, now from all parts, the swelling kennels flow and bear their trophies with them as they go. Ha ha, trophies like you won this. Mm-hmm. Filth of all hues and odors seem to tell what street they sailed from. By their sight and smell, they, as each torrent drives with rapid force from Smithfield or St. Polkras, shape their course and in huge confluent joined at Snow Hill Ridge, fall from the conduit prone to Holborn Bridge. In other words, the whole city is joined together. Mm-hmm. We, we humans think we've got this wonderful London, but Mother Nature, nature is bigger than we are and reveals our various stinks our various wastes, sweepings from butcher stalls, dung, guts, and blood, drowned puppies, stinking sprats, all drenched in mud, dead cats and turnip tops come tumbling down the flood. Now, I would point out two things here, poetically. The first is this gruesome description. Ends with a line, the first one of the entire poem, that is a third rhyme. Mm. That is, we've got heroic couplets the entire time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rhyme, iambic, pentameter, couplets. That's what Swift is famous for. Right? But the last three lines are blood, mud, flood. Mm-hmm. He gives us one more line to make this excess. Right? It's all carried away. So that's the first thing I would mention. The second thing is this. Four stanzas. We feel it coming, it's starting, it's raining down, and here are the consequences. Mm-hmm. Now go back to the editorial that tells us how to read. Right? And the editorial tells us that a genre poem about a, a, a rainstorm, whether country or city, but certainly in country, which is on the land, right, where we are with London, would generally be filled with the lowings of oxen mm-hmm. and the bleedings of sheep and a very off and very often embellished with a rainbow. Mm-hmm. In other words, 
you end these things by giving a beautiful picture of the world <laughs> and in order cleansed but what swift does is omit that fifth stanza the world of london is not cleansed there is no rainbow covenant there is no perfection it just rains and that's why it is in fact a description of a city shower this is the world mankind has made <laughs> indeed i have uh, i read this a couple of times aloud and i kept making the same mistake over and over just misspeaking i kept saying a description of a shitty sour <laughs> Shit. <laughs> shitty <laughs> i don't think that that's necessarily what he intended but certainly is what it is the that um, we have the hues right in the end here they're just not uh, rainbow colored. Sure, worried. there's red, uh, there's turnip, there's purple, there's white, there's uh, the blood, there's cats and dogs, literally raining cats and dogs, it seems, dragging yep. them out from the gutters and down every street. And nobody wants to be witness to it. Exactly. And there's no, there's no happy ending. That's, that's, I think, the point. The connection... Or there are many, but to me, the crucial connection between the editorial beginning, as you call it, and the poem itself is that the beginning tells us what we would expect in a in a shower poem. Mm -hmm. It also says we should go for something better than just genre poems. Mm. And then we get something better than a genre poem. But the result is something much uglier, mm. but also beautiful. I. I think what he's done here is beautiful. I mean, it's designed to be disgusting, um, but he does it beautifully. It's glorious filth. Yes, but that's why when you and I read it, um, more than 300 years later, we still find there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.